Hi, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. I'm your host, Melissa. Today, I'm joined by some pretty amazing women, and we're going to have an open and honest conversation about race. Unfortunately, when we recorded this episode, we had a little bit of a feedback because one of our um, panelists is deaf, and she didn't realize her mic was on full blast until we finally figured it out. So please bear the first couple of minutes um, of the feedback, but I assure you it's going to be a conversation that you will want to listen to. I learned a lot from these women, and they're women from all walks of life. Ashley from I Am Fabulous is a fashion stylist blogger, and she was raised by a single mom, and she's from Eastern North Carolina. Rada is um, simply Southern Girl Charm. She's a super sweet girl. Um, she loves to eat. She said food is her love language. Um, Cammie Kennedy is a mindset coach. Linda Wynn is a food blogger um, who is from Texas but now lives in North Carolina. And then Hadessa is a chef that not only does she mark the boxes, but she's also deaf. So I wanted to make sure that we included um, everybody of every nationality, as you can tell by the names. And I include in our chat about my daughters um, being in a biracial since my husband is um, Mexican and how we are checking the box off there. So every nationality just about or every type of nationality is is explored in this or is, is represented in this podcast in this show. So I hope you enjoy it. Like I said, get past the first, I say first three or four minutes with the feedback. And then after that, once we realize it's her, her, um, her mic and we finally figured out muting her mic helped a lot. So like I said, I hope you enjoy this honest and open conversation about race because after what happened in our country with George Floyd, I just, I can't not talk about it and I have a men's panel coming up because I felt like that panel was so successful that I have a men's panel coming up soon so look for that podcast as well Welcome back to a very, very special edition of Chat from the Blog Cabin. Little feedback. Sorry on my part because today seems like anything that can go wrong is trying to get us in the way of us doing this chat, but we're going to do it anyways, feedback or not. Uh, I am going to take the time right now to introduce you to some amazing women. I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. Um, they are graciously agreed to come on this chat to talk about the very serious issue about the race relations. And we're all going to be really respectful of each other because I know these ladies. I love each and every one of these ladies. They are amazing in their own right. 
So, Hadessa, why don't you start out with you and um, introduce yourself? Who'd you say? Okay. Hadessa. Okay. Yeah. She's going to have a little. Um, I'm Hadessa. I specialize in dedicated gluten-free uh, cuisine, southern global cuisine. Um, I'm also, I also do career concierge work, uh, writing and content for um, print and online for people, resumes and bios and website content. And then, you know, just the regular freelance uh, journalist media. Um, so it's still pretty busy. I'm glad to be on with everyone today. Linda, next. Hi, um, my name is Linda. Um, my last name is Wynn. I blog um, under Linda Eats World, and I'm also a portrait photographer. I just basically hobble together a living creating content online. Oh, and I'm from Texas, but I live in North Carolina. Ashley. Hey everyone, I'm Ashley Carter. I'm the creator of Fab Ellis, which is an affordable uh, lifestyle brand. I'm also the creator of the Triad Women Blogger Network here in the Triad area of North Carolina. And I'm really glad to be on the chat today because I see so many familiar faces and new faces too. Simply Southern Girl Charm. I love, I love her name. Rita. Hi, I'm Rita with Simply Subform, and I consider myself a lifestyle blogger. Got food, I'll be there. I am a public and a um, small business consultant by choice. Thank you for having me. Now my earphones are giving me feedback that much. Can we? Hi, my name is Cammie Kennedy. I am a mindset and life coach, and I've actually been working with Melissa for a few months. So I'm really, I want to recognize her for stepping out and doing this um, because she just started doing these Facebook lives and she jumped right in and she jumped right in when she heard the call and she saw the opportunity to have a platform to share. So I want to recognize you for that and for everybody who came on tonight as well. You Thank know, you for having us, Melissa. That the, the devil's going to try to make you do something and trying to make you stop to do something. He's trying tonight because listen to all this feedback. But I did want to share a quote real quick. It says, if you're neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Think about it. That's from Desmond Tutu. And honestly, I was kind of nervous about sharing and coming on because I was afraid I might say the wrong thing, even though it was I've come from the right heart. But you know how when you have things that happen in your life and you you want to share about it, but you're so scared that you're going to say the wrong thing that you don't share at all about it. And but I felt like this conversation was something that we needed to share. So first of all, I want you guys to tell us a little bit about your story and how you're coming in through the race relations. Um, if you've ever felt discriminated against, which I know a lot of us have, I have because my husband is Hispanic and my girls, I see it firsthand at working before he moved to his new job, he about called a wetback. 
or um, told him to go home to the border. I mean, he's called a beaner. He's called all these different names. So that's the reason why, if you notice, we're a very diverse group right here. We have, I have all pretty much all ethnicities up here that are doing. So that's the reason why. So, um, Ashley, we'll start with you first. Um, well, I'll say as far as my experience, you know, I grew up in Eastern North Carolina, so it was pretty, you know, a lot of different races, so it was pretty mixed diverse. Um, I probably didn't experience any issues until going into college. I went to a predominantly um, white institution, and so I was the minority there at school. And for the most part, it was a wonderful experience, but you did have maybe older alums didn't want to really interact with me because I wasn't the norm for the school. So situations like that. Um, I haven't experienced a, a lot because I think people have always looked at me as, oh, well, Ashley's not like everybody else. So she's different. But it's like, no, I'm, I'm still a black woman. So so that's pretty much been my experience so far. Not a lot of negatives, but I definitely want to stand up for what's going on right now. Rita? Um, so I'm Carolina, and I would say that like my first experience, I guess you could say a form of racism prejudice was probably when I was six years old. I mean, I still remember it because I was with my dad. And so my dad is the one who at that time, you know, we got on the elevator and we're going to the doctor's office. And um, there was a woman that got on the elevator. And when she saw my dad, um, you know, on the elevator, she basically, you know, moved her purse to the side, moved to the side of the elevator, didn't want to get her contact. Um, got off on a floor. I'm pretty sure it was not the floor she intended to get off of. And, you know, when you see this is the same person that and still does to this day, hugs me every time he sees me, read books to me, um, you know, was the person that took me camping. I mean, I could go on and on about this man that's my father, who back in the day would actually pull over and help a person on the side of the road, you know, change a tire or pick up a hitchhiker or whatever. And to see that, but at the time, not understand what that meant, the magnitude of something where no words were said, but it stayed with me. And so my instances in terms of moving forward, I saw a lot of things happen to relatives, my dad, my brother. I mean, I have stories, but I'm like Ashley. A lot of times the, the racism that I experienced was more, more covert. It was more hidden. It was subtle. It was not in your face. Uh, I mean, the first time I was called an N-word to my face was when I was 16 and I was working at Taco Bell and the girl was drunk. Um, so, you know, when you think about, I went 16 years before no one said it to my face, but then there's that because it was said to my face. So, I mean, we all have a lot of stories, but as far as like, I think the most profound was being six and seeing this woman who didn't know my dad pretty much make a, an entire conclusion based on just the color of his skin and the fact that he, and you know, the whole time I'm looking at her and I remember getting ready to ask, why is she, you know, in the corner? Why is this lady running off the elevator? And my dad kind of, you know, he squeezed my hand like, not right now, I'll, I'll explain later. So that's a lot of it, but I was considered, and I've had this said to me, 
a safe black or I'm not the usual black. I'm not the black that, and then you fill in the blank. I was every kind of version of black, except I don't know, because when people say this, they think, you know, you speak English well, or, you know, you present yourself well, or you this or you that, as if that is something odd pressed for a black person. So yeah, I've got tons of stories and experiences, but that was probably my first is at being six years old and seeing it happen to my dad. Wow. Okay, Cami. So I'll tell you a little bit about my background. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, which is like the whitest place you could be in, like shotguns and hunting and deer and all of that, right? Um, so I didn't experience really diversity until I went to college in when I was 19. And so my mom raised me well, but I think a lot of us, meaning like people who are white, who grow up in all white towns, we are just ignorant because we don't know what we don't know. So I went fully into college, accepting everybody as much as I could. But what I'm realizing now is, and I'd love to get into this with you a little bit more, Rada, is the the covert racism that we may be doing without realizing it. Um, I'm married to a Hispanic man. Um, and we'll make jokes sometimes about our different backgrounds, right? And I think that's all in good fun. But I also think that there's a limit on when we can say things and when it's okay and not okay. And I'm wondering if there's people out there who, and I'm also looking at this from a perspective of right now, white people are triggered and they're trying to prove they're not racist. That's essentially what's coming up. Right. And I see a lot of people going, well, I have black friends or I have this, or I have that. And so I want to recognize that for anybody watching, because it came up for me, like, I think most of us here and probably most people watching, we have good hearts and we want to do the right thing. But part of doing the right thing is like being able to be seen and being okay to be doing it wrong and just being like, am I doing it wrong? I don't know. Right. So um, Melissa and I were both talking about like, I'm nervous to show up and do the wrong thing and say the wrong thing. Um, but hiding and not addressing it and avoiding it, I think is coming out more of a covert racism by not speaking on it. And I wasn't aware of this until the last couple of years, right? Like until these things started to come out going, when we avoid it and when we don't talk about it, it's kind of like, we know it's in the elephant in the room, right? Um, and even saying things like, well, you're different or you're this, I think we should dive deeper into that in this call because I'm here to help the people who have good hearts, right? And they just don't know, like me, like I just didn't know. And to teach what is the best way to go about having these conversations. So I appreciate all of you for being here and sharing your stories. And I will be the first one to say, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so please educate me and, and help me to understand how to be better and how to have these conversations as we move forward. Um, I would like to say, like, to start, I think that's the beginning is to, you know, part of the healing process, because we have to heal as a country, like we, we America has never been great. Let's just, we're going to dig deep. We're just going to hit it. America's never been great, not for everybody. Okay. So in order for America to be great, we've got to dig into these places and spaces that are uncomfortable. They're hard. 
They're going to cause you to not only check, because I do believe most people honestly aren't racist per se, but they do have biases and prejudices that must be checked. And if you don't want the public to check you, or if you don't want someone from the outside, start internally first. And that is to talk about, okay, so if you know for a fact that there are differences within us culture, like to say I have a black friend means absolutely nothing. Like you, there's nothing that you can gain from saying that, except people are going to now question, what does that really mean? Because now you're gonna be put into a hot seat, if you will. Um, I think that the most important thing is just what you said. Acknowledge the parts of you that you're learning. So if you make a post, let's say you make a post on social media and your intent was good. Your intent was to share or to you know acknowledge what we're all going through and it backfires. And then people start kind of, as they say, dragging you through social media. Instead of deleting the post and pretending like what you just posted, you didn't say, because let's face it, it's very rare to make a change in 2.5 seconds or 2.5 minutes, right? You can make changes, but own up to the mistake and then work to rectify and make it better. So that that means having dialogue, even though it is uncomfortable and it is hard and it is going to probably expose some of the thought patterns and things that you might have either suppressed or didn't realize you had, that's where the real healing begins. So I appreciate that you're saying that you, you're coming to a place of wanting to acknowledge maybe the things that you've said or done that were somewhat covert racism or at least biases and prejudices that you didn't realize that you had. And that's where it all starts is having these conversations. Yep, that is so true, having these conversations. Linda, you're up next. Yeah, um, so I was born in Houston. Um, obviously, I'm Asian. And growing up, I've always felt like I didn't belong. I didn't, I didn't get a sense of belonging from a community until I reached college. Um, elementary, middle school, it was predominantly Hispanic. Um, and I was called chink. Um, <laughs> they didn't have a lot of representation in movies and media at that time. And so they also called me Jackie Chan. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny now, but it is awful as a kid. Um, they made fun of my flat nose, um, the food that I would bring in for lunch. And you just I just never felt like I belong. And I remember my first trip to Vietnam was in between middle school and high school. And I thought, oh, this is probably, this visit to Vietnam will be my first opportunity to feel like I belong somewhere. But going to Vietnam as an American born Asian, they immediately can tell just by the way you look, talk, dress. Um, and then I didn't feel like I belonged there either. Um, and then it wasn't until I went to college um, that I found other young, peers that looked like me and they were raised by Asian immigrants. And it was my first sense of belonging and it was pretty awesome. And it's a life-changing experience to find your community that looks like you and have similar experiences. But even in college, if I wasn't with my group of friends, um, I partied a lot in college. If I wasn't with my Asian friends, I always, always, didn't fail would get in a, a racial slur yelled at me or told to me by a drunken person and never there was never a night where i 
was on my own with my right friends where I did not receive that kind of um, feedback from people. Um, and that just never goes away. You feel safe with your network, the people that you meet um, in work settings and um, with your blogging friends, you always feel safe. But whenever you interact with a group of strangers, it always will come up. Um, when I travel overseas, every time I would get comments. Um, in Greece, this cute Greek shop owner asked me where I was from. And when I told him Texas, he said, no, China. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not even Chinese. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a, an experience for me. I think it actually helps me be more empathetic towards other minorities because that experience of not feeling like you belong. And also it's hard when you talk about it. I know that a lot of my black friends have said this. When you talk about it to people who don't experience that kind of, even the microaggressions, right? Like people complimenting me on my English sometimes still. Um, they, it's when you tell that story, I understand some of my white friends um, don't mean anything by them saying, did that really happen? Or there's, they're expressing a shock because they can see that it's rude or that it's um, undermining. But when they express that shock, you can't help but feel a little attacked. Like, I know that their intention is to not attack your credibility, but that's how we receive it because now we have to explain, yes, <laughs> this happens all the time. And so I really, uh, growing up Asian in, in America, gives me an opportunity to relate to other um, discriminated minorities. But I do know that um, Asian Americans, we are raised by our parents and also conditioned by white Americans in history, documented in history to be model minorities. Um, we were pitted against black Americans. We were held up like if they can get into college, why can't you? And that just, was very damaging and a lot of my Asian friends now, we have to look at ourselves and see, we were raised by parents who conditioned us to be quiet, um, to not question authority, to not speak up. Not just because, not that they wanted us to be complicit in racism, that was never the intention of this collective upbringing of our generation, Asian Americans, but it's so that we could fit in. They wanted us to fit in and they wanted us to fit in by behaving and doing well in school and not starting fights and not standing up for other people because we're trying to get by and survive. And that's 20, 30 years of brainwashing that we kind of have to undo, not to blame our parents, but we have to undo that. Um, so, for me and myself, I have to learn to speak up more. Um, I've learned from a, my one of my best friends, he's black and gay, and he called me out a few years ago. Um, I love him dearly, and I know he knows who I am, he knows my heart, and he knows the company I keep. I, I have a diverse group of friends, but he felt hurt that I didn't verbally say out in the public that I support gay rights. Um, I never took my silence as condoning. I just didn't want to add to the noise. So that's what I'm taking from today's climate is that I need to practice using my voice um, and not trying to be polite and to make up for all the times that I've been quiet. So that's 
my story. Okay, Hadessa, it's your turn. There might be a little lag here, so. So, I've experienced a lot of different controversies, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Um, there's so many different experiences that you have in life and so many different types of things that we go through. Um, I think probably being um, a chef and coming through kitchen is probably more about experience, but of course, you know, you learn so much about it before you even get to that point. Um, I've been perceived as a threat in so many different ways. I've had, I've been pulled over and had a bit thrown at me for driving 25 and 35 miles on. <laughs> um, you know, you just can't believe some of the things that, you know, that people would put you through. Um, but I check off all of the boxes, you know, being deaf and female and black, you know, woman of color, you know, having business background as well, and other global backgrounds, you know, and um, so I've always been able to get along really well with all kinds of people, but I think just dealing with um, the various forms of bias, and we all have some form of bias, but knowing how to deal with that in a consistent way has been one of the main points in life. I think a lot of times we, um, we tend to construe conflict as inherently negative, and coming along as a chef and having to to kind of swim against the grain, swim against the current so much. Um, I'd rather have to raise people's awareness to the notion that having some conflict is necessary to affect change. Um, I mean, you just get so many crazy things and also you might not hear and I have to be able to look at people to communicate. <laughs> that is, it's absolutely imperative. Um, so people will automatically make assumptions about you because of how you are dealing with various environments. You have to be aware of the whole environment. You have to see the environment. You have to be directly at a person. Otherwise, we're not speaking. So, you know, if I can't see your face, we're not talking. <laughs> um, so I've had to deal with so many assumptions about my humanity or my sexuality or my race or however it is that I'm motivated that particular day. Um, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, I know one time I remember being in a, um, a beauty shop and you know, I moved out to the western part of the state and it was, you know, I moved out there and I was looking for, you know, places to get my hair done. And so, you know, I was talking to the young lady that had a, a beauty school, you know, so I went to a beauty school. And so that were across the street from like the main building or whatever. So we're sitting there and I asked for some basic you know, tricks and you couldn't tell And so she got to work to watch it and was anything. And she called all of her coworkers over to look at my scalp. Oh my God, look at her hair. It doesn't lay down like the rest of them. And I was like, Oh my God, what did she just say? Did she just say that thing? She just said, oh my God, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> okay, so I'm like, you know, you know, you can just, can you just, you have a body pen or something? Because I remember an appointment, and so I got to run. You know, there's no way I was gonna let her do my hair after that, okay? Do my hair. Um, I cut my own hair for 12 years, okay? 12 years. 
I kept my hair short and cut my own hair because I was tired of having to go with the stereotypes and the racism and just the whatever. Um, not just from not just from less melanated people, but also um, from people of color because of the perceptions of women who cut their hair. I mean, it's just unreal. Some of the stuff, some of the isms that we have to go with. Um, so I think this is a really great time for us to dismount to a lot of those things. We all have some kind of bias, and it's time for us to let those things be. Forgive me, I have to unmute myself because the feedback. That is so true. And for those that um, did not get it, she is not only hitting one, but she's hitting several of the um, discriminations. Um, she is African-American, like she said, but she's also, and I wanted to include in this conversation, she is deaf. So I think it's very um, honorable of her to come on and chat with us because we all, everybody's perspective needs to be heard with all this going on. So I applaud her totally for, you know, probably getting out of her comfort zone to come on with us. Now, um, I want to talk about what happened this past week. Um, I posted on my Facebook, I don't normally, and on my, on my Instagram, I don't normally post about um, this young man because he is in the military but he's like my son. His mom died when he was in ninth grade. He was my daughter's eighth grade boyfriend. And when I saw that video of what happened to George Floyd, all I could see was his face. And he is now serving in the Marine Corps. And I immediately messaged him and I asked him, hey, what is going Are you okay? Please be safe. He says, Madre, this is what he calls me. He said, don't worry about me because I got the military at my back but worry about all these other young African-American men that are out there. They don't have that protection. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. My dad was a cop. So it takes a lot for me to actually believe different about a cop because all I see when I see cops is my dad. So it takes a lot for me to say that's a bad cop, but I'm calling it out like it is. That was a freaking bad cop. That was a bad cop. No doubt about it in my mind. And there are bad cops. But I would say 75% of the time I've given them benefit of the doubt just because I know what, how, what kind of cop my dad was. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what happened, how you reacted to it, how you felt about the whole thing. So Ashley, if you want to start with it. Well, I'll be honest in saying when I first saw the video, you have to understand that me, I'm getting ready to be 34. So we've been seeing, you know, this change in social media where everything is videotaped and mm -hmm. we're seeing so much um, <clears throat> violence against black people that I'll be honest, it's almost like we're getting used to seeing it. So when I first saw it, I wasn't immediately outraged because I'm like, well, I don't want to see this. This isn't right. This is scary. But we see so much of it that it just it didn't impact me at first. But then the more I kept seeing the videos and the more I was finding out about what's going on and the more that there have been a lot of violence from police over the past weekend and stuff like that, it started to bother me more and more because I just started to feel like when is this going to end? It shouldn't have been okay that this happened. And it just started to really make me feel like 
we have to do something. And normally I'm the type of person where, you know, I believe in, you know, praying and making sure that I'm sharing my thoughts online. But it really made me think, OK, we have to go beyond this and we have to do more to change it. So that's where I kind of am right now. I'm realizing that even though we're getting conditioned to seeing violence and things on TV and media, this still isn't okay and we shouldn't be accepting of it. So I'm in the place now where I'm like, what can I do where I am to change this because it's not right? Well, that's so true. I mean, honestly, yeah, I think we all need to learn what we can do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Rada? So um, I'm going to say like, um, with, I agree with Ashley. So, but before I, I go to that, I want to say, first of all, I don't think that a majority of us feel like there are more bad cops than there are good cops. I think overall we understand the roles that they play in our safety and overall protection. But what happens is for most, I won't say all, but most black Americans, is that even if I were to say to you, I don't have a lot of stories of bad cops, collectively, I could tell you stories for days of things that I have witnessed. And again, this is coming from the fact that I may be in the car with my dad or my brother, my uncle, my cousins. And so it increases my numbers of seeing instances where we have been pulled over or profiled at a higher greater percentage, as opposed to any other counterpart, especially our white friends and allies, right? So let's just say that there's that, but I'm with Ashley and I totally agree that when you see it now, we have become so conditioned just from either things we've experienced, stories we've been told, um, that when you first see it, you literally almost are like, well, ugh, how do we process? Where do we go from this? So you wait, you almost kind of wait it out to wait and see because the next thing after you see it and you go, not another one is let's wait for the number of people who are going to come in and drag this man's name through the mud. Because the first thing that unfortunately sometimes the media will do is they're going to go pull up everything that man did in his past in order to debunk, to credit, or, and, you know, kind of shine the light on, well, he deserved what he got. So that's already kind of giving the narrative to most people who will see the video. Then after they've done that part, now you've got to go through the people who will say, we got to wait for the video. We got to wait for the rest of the video. We got to wait for what happened. And so by that time, we have already, what we've been told by everybody before there's even just been, my God, another person's died. Let's just deal with that. We've already had to hear every reason why this man got what he deserved in that moment. And so by the time that we look at the video and go, wait a second, there's something not right about it is really when you begin to now have to deal with all the emotions that even we as black Americans have to push down every single day. So when you see us, just because I'm smiling, I show up for work and I go to Target and I do all those things, doesn't mean that I haven't internalized it. What made this so different is at some point, as we watch the video, all of us, black people have triggers too. <laughs> we had to, 
as we watched it, at some point we were triggered. So when I got triggered might be different from when Ashley got triggered. My trigger was when they played back the tape of his last words. And when this man was calling out to his mom and he said, this is a man who's 40 something years old. Okay. 40 something years old. And in his last minutes, because I don't know what it's like to be in the last minutes of my life. Okay. But he was begging, he was pleading and asking to live. He didn't say, Hey, I don't want to go to jail. He didn't say, Hey, this is police brutality. He didn't say those things that everybody kept saying again, that he got what he deserved. This man was pleading for his life. And as I watched the life expire out of his body and he called out to his mom is when for me, I started crying and I honestly haven't stopped crying since I watched it in its entirety on Saturday. So that's where, when I say this whole thing, like, no, all police aren't bad, but at some point we've got to look at how do we help make the changes for those police officers that are abusing the system that have taken the power and they have no longer, they've only sworn to serve and protect a certain few. Because last I checked, it was all of us. And the police don't get to dictate when a person is guilty per se and okay. give them a final sentence. Their job is to collect the person, bring them in, okay? That's the judge and the jury, not the police officer's job. And that is where, when I say again, I think that I know tons of police officers and sheriffs and state troopers, and they are amazing people. I mean, really, truly amazing people. But at some point, if it's kind of like where I say, if I rob a bank and then I go to Ashley's house and I ask Ashley to hide me out after robbing the bank, right? And Ashley's like, what do you mean you robbed a bank? So she's going to be like, what do you mean? Why'd you come to my house? Because now I'm putting her at risk, right? But then I say, no, 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 just hide me out. Just hide me out for five minutes. I just want to be here for five minutes. I want to get my thoughts together. If Ashley hides me out for five minutes, guess what she has now become to my crime? An accessory, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just, we're going to have this talk. Accessory to my crime. That's what happens when those police officers who do abuse their power and who have overstepped it, the ones watching, to me, are accessories. They're accessory to this brutal, brute show of force and at this point, all we're asking is for those that are doing their job a little, little, going a little too far. You know, we're doing too much now, right? We're not, we're not policing anymore. I don't know what to call it, but it, I don't know if it's bullying, but it's not policing. And so to shed light on what has to happen is each police department is going to have to have those, this. They're going to have to have this open forum, have communications and talk and let's, let's have more community-based you know, groups and, and conversations. A lot of these police officers don't know the communities with which they serve, okay? They're removed from it. Mm -hmm. There was a time when they lived in the communities that they served. They knew the people. They knew that little Tammy, yeah, he's, he's, he's getting in trouble because, well, his mom has to work a second shift job. So he's left unattended. Doesn't make little Timmy a bad guy. It's just, he's got extra time on his hands and well, his mom's not there. So when we start to ask those that are the bystanders in this to step in, that's number one, better training and not just training for how to detain people, but how to talk to people, um, how to go into these communities. And yes, there are some bad people. There are people who, you know, let's grant, you know, 
they're in trouble and they're getting in trouble and they don't want to be in trouble. We're talking about the George Floyds who's on the ground, handcuffed, knee to the neck. That's MMA style for eight minutes. And all he kept saying was, I can't breathe. That, you know, at this point, that's where we're going to have to make changes. And that's all, that's, I think, where all, all of us should be asking for, not just for me, not just for Black lives, not just for Black America, but as a whole, because until all of our lives matter, until we all are part of this system, it's broken. And it only serves a certain subset of people. And that's not, that's not right. That's, that's where these conversations are. It's about accountability for all, not just for some. I will say that um, I can uh, kind of chime in on something here with Mexican-Americans. Uh, my daughter was driving home one day from work at Chipotle and she got pulled over and they ran her plates and they came up Raul Vera. Well, of course, you know, it's Hispanic. They're going to go down on her and they brought something bogus. But when they realized it was a white girl driving because she comes off as white, even though she's mixed, they were like, OK, we'll just let you go with a warning but had her scared and shaking. And so honestly, you know, my girls get it from both sides. They're not white enough with their white friends and they're not Hispanic enough with their Hispanic friends because of the fact they don't speak Spanish. And then my daughter Maddie is married to 75% Japanese and a quarter German. So she says she's ready to just make it so that you can't even tell later on where, any, where they're coming from because she wants to make it so that they're all intermixed. She does. We don't separate out. We don't see that. And I used to tell my girls that you don't see color and people say, no, that's that's continuing the racism. So I've rephrased it and said. I may see you may see your color like I see Ashley, I see she's a strong black woman, but I don't let her being black define how I'm going to treat her. So we rephrased that whole and I did not know at the time that when I said we don't see color that it was actually a, a point of racism. But after somebody told me that, we rephrased it so that, yeah, we see your color and we recognize you because that's who a part of who you are, but it doesn't mean that's how we define who you are and how we treat you, so. I, I love that you received that feedback, that saying, I I don't see color and, and we're, you were able to absorb it um, and pivot because you know when you hear that from a person, um, when you hear that from someone, you know their heart. You know, you know that they they don't mean it as I'm a racist person. That's not where they're coming from. And so sometimes when you give that feedback, because it's so uncomfortable to look at, I see a lot of deflection. And mm -hmm. we're not saying you're evil when we say please don't say that. We're saying hey, that's problematic. But what I'm getting is sometimes when you when you bring that up in a conversation, because it's so uncomfortable, people immediately throw the ball back, right? Like, nope, I didn't mean that way. That's on you. I can't control your feelings. <laughs> I get a lot of that. Like, I'm sorry if you took it that way, but that's not what I meant. Um, and that's such a great way. That was a great example of, oh, I didn't mean that. I'm really sorry. Now I'm going to start saying this. And that I know that that might seem simple, but you don't get that often like i don't see that happening um so that's awesome thank you for sharing that yeah, that point of view totally changes everything because you don't realize it because you're not used to because you're not in the, in each other's world so you don't realize it and then once you realize it you're like 
oh man, I didn't mean to say that. Let me, let me change my thinking because you're not dealing with it day to day. That's one of the important things. The reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you guys tonight, because we can learn so much from each other. And as you see, we're not yelling, we're not screaming, we're not cussing each other out. We're not doing any of that because I know each and every one of your hearts. And I know your hearts come from a good place and that you're coming from a place of wanting to learn about the other's experiences. So Cammie, let's talk about you because you talked about going, growing up in Pennsylvania where you, even on a prayer call this, this past week, you were, you said you were scared and I agreed with you of saying the wrong thing. So we've kind of stayed quiet and not said anything. So Cammie. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to kind of talk about, to piggyback off of what you said and what Rada said, kind of two things. Um, the one is, you know, your, your mama teaches you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I think that's why we end up as white people, just like ignoring. We're like, well, if seeing color is bad, let me not see it. And then let me not talk about it. And then let's just not. Right. So I think that that's where a lot of the not talking about it comes because we think we're doing the right thing by just ignoring it. Um, and then the other piece back to what Rada was saying is we're kind of making this back the blue or black lives matter, like either or, and it doesn't have to be either or, right? Like we have acknowledged that there's good cops out there. We've also acknowledged that this situation is not good and black lives matter because this situation keeps happening. So I think we lose ground when we make it either or, either I talk about color or I don't, or either I back the blue or black lives matter. So I think we're starting to get into the space of perspective and perspective is important for each different situation because even certain people of color have grown up in different situations. Maybe they're adopted, maybe they're not. I mean, the things that Linda shared are probably unique to her as well. So I think it's important to start speaking to each person about their own experience to yeah. understand them as a person and go from there. So that's kind of the steps I'm taking is like individually learning about my friends who I would never bring it up. I would never be like, what's it like to be black in America? Like that's not conversation that we just text. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've been more conscious of opening up that conversation and that dialogue. And I've had opportunities specifically this year to talk to young black men. And I went on a mission trip to Africa this summer and Africa is very different than America. So I can't compare those, but it just opened up my eyes and my heart to wanting to serve more here in the U S. And so I started talking to these young men and they really want to do a lot to help young African-American men. So I've been able to have these conversations and some of them are like, well, they've never ever talked to a white woman. Like they've, they've never experienced any of that. So I think part of it is starting to not be fearful of those conversations and to put yourself out there to have those conversations. And maybe you're the one nice white person that's going to help, right? That's going to show them. Because I think what happens is our families start to reinforce what they saw and then start to protect us and separate us. I just heard a story um, the other day from one of my friends just saying like, when I grew up, you know, I didn't think about inviting the black kids in the neighborhood over. Like, it's just something we didn't do. So I think starting those things from a young age and not making it weird, because why is it weird? Right. And then we grow up with this unspoken, like, is it weird? Should I not do that? Like, we never talked about this. So I think 
moving forward, that's important. And I was specifically talking about it in churches, like going to churches that are integrated or being part of churches. Like to me, that's a safe space, right? Because everybody is there with probably the same heart. Um, so that's kind of where I've started to branch out is bringing together a prayer group of women and men and just say, let's start having these conversations in a safe space um, so that we can start to learn more and talk about those things that we haven't talked about. And to Linda's point, like a lot of white people are so ignorant just because we can't possibly believe that people would act like that. It's just like, I just heard a story today from one of the guys I follow, David Goggins. And he he's like, yeah, when I said those stories and he wrote a book, he's a former Navy SEAL. He wrote a book. He's like, nobody backed me up. And there was only two people that said that those things actually happened because they just wanted to sweep it under the rug and ignore it. Um, and then on the flip side, he's like, but white people are helped me get to where I am. So that puts it back on white people to make the change because we are in a lot of those leadership positions mm -hmm. to have those conversations. And even if we don't think that we are like Melissa and I, right, we have a platform. It may be a smaller platform, but it's going to affect the communities, our relationships, our conversations. I've already had conversations with my friends that I would have never had before just because I'm like, help me understand this. And so I think the more we focus on coming together, the more we're able to do this from, a grassroots initiative and because I don't know that I personally have control over what happens in this court case. Like me personally today, I don't know if any of us do, right. That's going to be, there may be protesting. We may be able to make some influence, but I see what can I do on my micro level within my community that will have ripple effects outward. And Linda, to you, to your point, I've never posted anything about like supporting gay people. I just never did. I just never, thought of that until your perspective. So I appreciate you for bringing that up as well. Um, I did want to add a point about, I think when, for a lot of people that question, how do you have the conversation? How do you start? What does that sound like? What is that? I think the thing is most people kind of, I think are afraid, but at the end of the day, we're pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's less about what I call a savior complex, because there are, there, that's another subset of conversations about people who don't look like me will want to come in and quote unquote, save me. I mean, I've had people to think that I grew up a certain way that I did not grow up. And I remember someone asking, you know, what was, when I was in college, you know, what's it like to grow up in the hood? And <laughs> because it is so, first of all, I'm going, I don't know. Um, and so, you know, that's a great question. Let's find out. So my point is, I think sometimes there's this thought processing that we are asking to be saved and we're not. We're, what we're asking people to do is the same way that you would ask, and I'm saying this because this is the word that's up, Karen. If you were to ask Karen to come to your pool party, hey, Karen, could you come to my pool party? Hey, Rada, could you come to my pool party? It's nothing different. And so that is the beginning of it. When people have made an assumption that because of the color of my skin, that somehow I am so vastly different from what you're going through, that is where the awkwardness comes. It's really just, I like food. So I'm not saying like everything you make, 
but I'll come to the party. I'll come to the cookout. But most of the time, what I tell people is if you really want to see where you've got to make changes in your life is not just look at your friends, but how many times have you had a person of color come into your home? How many times have you decided to break bread with someone of color? How many times have you said, hey, you know, I'm on my way out to eat lunch. Let me go ask Cheryl if she wants to ride with me. I mean, it's a very simple thing. I think sometimes part of it is when you overthink it is when it becomes um, scary and where it becomes like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's okay. You're human. We're, you're going to say it at some point because here's why. I, my experiences and the way that I relate to you may be different from someone else who's never been around a white person. Um, so there's the possibility that it might come across that way. But like I think Cammie was saying is when you start to address people individually and take on their individual experiences, that's a start. But also understand that as a whole, I mean, we go to Target and, you know, we look for the deals too. We shop, you know, at Macy's and Nordstrom's and, you know, we wear Ralph Lauren and we go to the islands and, you know, we like to paint and, you know, we do all these things too. And I think that's part of where it is, the stereotypes, which are part of the biases that everybody has. There are biases and prejudices. And that's really what I would rather people check. The racist people, I'm going to be honest with you, as black people, I'm not trying to reach a racist person because it's not going to be me who's going to get them to change. It's going to be my white friends because you're the ones who have access to them on a daily basis. You're the ones who go to family reunions and hang out with them. You're the ones who hear them say very inappropriate things and you become that very person that we were talking about earlier, the cop that sees but does nothing. If you don't check your friends and if you don't check your family, if you don't, when they're saying a joke that's inappropriate, and it's, you know the difference. You know if it's inappropriate because you wouldn't go put it on your social media feed. If you don't check that person right then, hey, dad, that's not really cool. You know, like, just like with Linda. And, you know, there was a time when understanding, even within Asian Americans, that they can come from so many different places. So to just go from China is very racist in it of itself, the platform. So if you're not sure, hey, Linda, where are you from? And if Linda doesn't want to talk about that right now, if it's, if she's like, well, you know what? I've had a really hard day. I don't really want to go into that. Let's have that conversation another time because that's the other thing that happens a lot of times is when, and not all, but when, especially now, a lot of white people do want to do the right thing, but they're not also being understanding that we're still being traumatized. We're still dealing with a lot of stuff. So we may not want to have those conversations right now. However, I would love to have it. So again, understand that just because a person goes, I don't want to talk about that. Doesn't mean that's personal to you. We're still dealing with the trauma of everything. The, the rioting and the looting, believe it or not, most of the racist people on social media are saying it's our fault. And there's they're categorizing all of us. And so it's a scary time for us. It's a scary time for us because if I go out in the street, you don't know that I'm not a Black Lives Matter member, you just assume that that's the profile or the platform I sit on without having a conversation. So it is scary for us. And so we just are saying, just be you. That's the beautiful thing. Don't be a savior to any of us. Just be you and have these conversations and say up front, look, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And if I do, tell me why, because that's the 
way growth and change will happen is if you say something like, like I said, when people say I speak really good English, I'm like, well, what was I supposed to speak? Um, or, you know, when someone says any of the other things that come with it, you want to have those conversations and be able to say, but sometimes some people aren't. And, and so there's that part too. Just when you do speak out, just be open to having to check your biases as well and the prejudices that do come with, because my dad hunts. Like, like, I mean, I've been in circles where when I tell people that my dad hunts and fish and he's an outdoorsman. So there's that Southern side, but people go, your dad hunts. And I'm like, yeah. And so when I hear another person say, I didn't know black people hunted. And I'm going, yeah, there's a lot of things we do. And so I think that's the thing you're going to find. There's a broad spectrum of us that do so many amazing things. And so instead of focusing on what is different, Sometimes let's figure out what we have in common and then we can celebrate and talk about the differences. You don't have to always figure out the difference right away. Sometimes it's just, hey, Raider, what do you like doing? And then as I tell you, I've got kids, so I'm a mom. And then there's, there's, you know, there's that conversation. There's Target. There's food. So find that common ground to be able to celebrate what you have in common and then go into those places to have those hard conversations. Because if you try to have the hard conversation without getting to know me, the very first thing you're going to do is start to label me. And that's where the bias comes in. And that's where those prejudices come in. Because now you want to put a label on me. And I'm asking you to not do that right now. Wow. That's that's so like, I know you love food. I know you totally love food. Anyway, no, no, she loves food. Now, before I get to somebody else, Ashley, I want to point out something that you and I and Ajanique had a conversation about on that wine tour that we went on. Because we were talking about thrifting. And remember, we saw that thrift store, and I didn't notice it, but Ajanique noticed it. You remember what was in the, she told us, told you maybe you shouldn't go in there because what was on the, the window? You know what? I'll be honest. I don't even remember that. What did it say? It was the Confederate flag. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because all I saw, all I was seeing was thrift store. And mm -hmm. and we, we had just had this conversation about thrifts and, you know, how she loves to thrift shop. If you follow her on Instagram, she loves to thrift shop. She's amazing out there. <laughs> But I was like, oh, there's a thrift store. So I'm going to check it out. And Ashley's like, uh, maybe you better not check it out. <laughs> it got me looking now to see things like that. Yeah. And, you know, um, something I wanted to comment on uh, to Cammie was I think I love what you said. It's just really about having openness and being open because, you know, uh, Rada and um Melissa, it was my first time meeting you all on the wine trip, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And remember how we really didn't know each other, but by the time we left, we were so glad we all met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm just like, that was just because we were open. Like we'd seen each other online, but we didn't know each other. But we sat there and we had conversation. We connected. You know, I'm from Eastern North Carolina, just like you. And so, yes, woo, <laughs> 919. <laughs> but, um, you know, we found some, we found things in common and we were able to connect. And I think that's what really allows you to make those connections, being open with people. That's how I've connected with so many people, even Linda. I've known Linda online for like two years <laughs> before I met her in person. <laughs> so I think that's a big thing. It definitely, um, friendship is a great place to learn. So 
I want to ha- encourage people to seek friendship with other people that don't look like them because in the course of a friendship, after you, you know, go to the movies, going to the movies is a great um, thing to connect on because you can actually use movies as a, as a conversation starter, you know, like whenever there's a racist moment in the movies, like that's a conversation starter that happens organically. So you're not seeking teachers just to be taught how to be a better person. You can actually just cultivate a diverse group of friends and it'll happen naturally and it goes both ways. I learn from my friends all the time and I hope that they learn from me what it's like to be an Asian American in the US. And then also if you don't have those friendships yet and don't have the means to break into a network or you wanna know what to do now, you can still get different points of views by looking at what kind of content you're consuming. So when you're on Netflix, instead of clicking, there's so much on Netflix now that's from a minority point of view where they're the main protagonists. And even you, there's so many connection points, you know, that the show isn't about being a certain color, but they do a great job of getting you in a different point of view. You know, um, I just saw, it's a little teen drama on Netflix. It, I think it's called uh, Never Have I Ever, but it's told from an Indian American um, girl. And I was able to exercise empathy by just the process of consuming stories that are not mainstream majority. Um, And then I just wanted one story. I wanted to commend my friend, um, Alex. She, she's in Dallas and she's in in a white neighborhood. And I, I remember the story. She told me this at least three years ago because her baby might be three, but she, um, she was out and she realized her whole network is white. Um, Her school is white everything, all of her social networks were white. And she was at Target with her son and her son saw a black man and the only black person in her son's life was the mailman. So she, he pointed at this black man and said, mailman. And it lit a light bulb in her head. <laughs> she was like, oh, I need to introduce more stories and examples of other professions that black people are and it's it's it sounds like it's nothing but it it's basically reprogramming all your inputs to make sure you're not just getting one story <laughs> so that it helps you to i know this sounds terrible but remember that everybody's human and sometimes we need the help of input constant stimulus of like hey i think we're just bombarded by one one person you know like hot blonde girl always on tv <laughs> you know what i mean like we need to consciously look for more stories. And so she um, told me one of the things she did was when she looked for her son's doctor, she went through, she's not black, she went through the trouble of finding a black um, male doctor so that her son can have regular interactions with someone that is not just the mailman. <laughs> so I just think that that's one way we can we can make a difference in our personal lives, which hopefully will have the ripple effects that Cami was talking about earlier. Um, I wanted to say too, in along lines with- Okay, and- so one of the things I wanna comment also um, with what we have been talking about is how we can be so good up and be caught in it, um, thinking that we have to be even or everything has to be either or black lives matter, all lives matter, we're caught back up. Um, who, who are you? I've had people ask, what are you? I'm like, okay, I'm a human being. <laughs> so, you know, we're all 
um, Pentecost so many different um, labels and the idea that we have to label something to understand it and not be afraid of it. It's something that we need to get away from. It's the fear of the unknown that is at the root of so many people's issues. Um, one of the things that I hope really comes from this whole incident and tragedy and episode that the country is experiencing right now is just more structured conversation. Um, not just the, you know, reaching out to your neighbor, tap, tap, hey, how can I do less like <laughs> You know, that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack and that's a lot to put on someone else. And it's not a person of color's responsibility to help you be less like That's something that I'm uh, working with all by It's something that we have to do on our own. That's, that's personal work. That's personal time work. It's not work time work. <laughs> um, you know, so there's that. But also, what I'm hoping to see is more leaders having these kinds of conversations, more leaders um, getting away from the notion of the white fragility that doesn't allow these kinds of conversations in the workplace, or doesn't allow these kinds of conversations on the floor. It's the ones who are responsible for making sure that others are safe, the ones who are responsible for making sure that um, the others have the legal structure that they need in place to live freely and work and love freely. There's the other ones who need to be paying more attention. So I feel like the more dialogue we continue to have, you know, we're not really ready for the kinds of conversations where we say, oh, well, not all cops are bad. Of course not. But we need to keep having these dialogues until it becomes a community action. And we need more and more people to care about it until it becomes a legal trust in place that penalizes this kinds of behavior. And, you know, we need to see a lot more advocacy from our white allies not just understanding or the lack of fear, um, but the action, the positive action that stimulates a society into a framework that makes it safe for everyone. Wow, that's so true. It's like these dialogues are definitely important. And I mean, I'm just like, I'm in awe of all you women right now. I'm just like, I am so glad you guys said yes to me. You could have easily said no. I mean, I think I posted it in your group, Ashley. And Ashley's like, I'm in. And she's like, and Linda would be a good one. And I, I was I, actually messaging Linda on Instagram when Linda was replying to your comment on Facebook. So we were like in sync on that one. So um, is there anything else that you guys want to share? Because I know we're, we've talked for about an hour now. So is there anything else you guys want to share? I did want to say real quick um, that tied into what Linda was saying and Cammie was saying is in order to connect sometimes, sometimes the most simplest way is is just even the way that you interact on social media. Um, so if you're in a Facebook group and, and this is to help, again, those that are outside of our race. So we're seeing now white allies and friends who really do want to make a shift because I do believe, a, and I've seen that, that's the beautiful thing. I've seen a lot of people stepping up and really trying to, you know, speak out against racism and kind of, I've had some of my friends call me and say they've lost family and friends because of, you know, making a post. And that's really sad. And I, and I, I completely um, empathize and can sympathize with losing someone that you care about that is in your family when you make a stand just for doing the right thing. Um, but on social media, you know, follow people that 
you, even if it's, you're not sure if that's the person you'd be friends with, but if you're into like interior design, um, like I, again, with Ashley and Linda, I, I was following them before I ever met them. And so the beautiful thing about that is when you are in Facebook groups or if you're on Instagram and you're following people, you can start conversations and it doesn't have to be about race right away. Um, or the in, the differences, like Ashley and I were saying, sometimes it's a matter of, and Linda too, have a conversation. Like I know Linda loves to eat, like literally Linda eats world. So I already know that she's always gonna go somewhere where there's food. So I already know if we got together, we've already got this commonality of coming together through food and I eat everything. Like I, I am all like all parts of food. So that's my invitation for anybody that wants to have a conversation with me pick a restaurant or a place. I do like local and try to support small businesses, but that's a great way to start to change. Even the world that you're in is to take a look at, you know, some of the people you're following and look at your friends list. And if you really truly want to change it, it has to start from within. And that's how we begin. So start following, you know, other people that don't look like you follow and start to make connections and reach out to them because surprisingly the thing about social media that I really do like from a lot of people that are out there is that if you were to reach out and have a like a basic conversation how'd you get started in this field you know what made you decide to do this why'd you leave Texas Linda and move to North Carolina although I already know her story but that's a great question to ask her how she ended up here um you know the 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 most important thing is to keep doing it what we and not just for black people, Asians, Indian, for us as a whole, in order to really truly make America great, don't just do this now when it's socially acceptable to like come out and make this post because it's trending. Do this all the time. Put this in your repertoire the same way that you get up every day and put socks on and shoes on and brush your teeth. It must be a daily thing that you do and you know there are you know sometimes it's doing getting out of your comfort zone it's it's you know going to places that you wouldn't ordinarily go when you're in a restaurant sometimes you know hey i love your blouse it doesn't have to be over the top just keep doing it and the more that you do it the more comfortable it will come the more that you'll start to say wait a second i built a world around this and not intentionally but that's just the way that it is my 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 friends are very diverse and i worked at making sure it was diverse like i intentionally made sure that everything about the neighborhood that i lived in to my friends was diverse because that's the world i want to live in so i would just say you know a good start for people who go how do i start making friends that don't look like me just start on social media follow ashley linda um um hadia like is it hadia i always say her name wrong is to uh, Melissa and Cammie start having these conversations about parenting and, you know, hey, I love your blouse or your earrings. And then from there, you'll be able to start moving forward. But just every day, every day that you get up, go find a new person and connect. And that's the beginning. I think that's part of the beginning and had more dialogue and conversation. So again, I do want to applaud you guys. I know this was a very serious subject. And we didn't get to really be as lighthearted as I know all of us are because I've seen all the beautiful personalities and all of these women on this platform are amazing souls. So to come out and do this says a lot about, you know, the change that you guys want to see in the world you want to grow up and live in. And that is courage. And that's what we need more people to do is to step up 
and have courage and step out of those comfort zones. I know speaking for a mom, and I know Rada, you're a mom too, that um, we want a world that's better for our children. Absolutely. We want so that they don't see, you know, differences among anything that we want them to be equal and united. Absolutely. And I know, I know when my girls were growing up, like I said before, because my husband's from Mexico, that there were a lot of slang, slanderous terms given to them. And when I was growing up, you didn't see mixed couples anywhere. You didn't see them at all. Matter of fact, if I had even thought about bringing home a, a man of color, my parents would have hit the roof. But then they end up with a Mexican son-in-law who they absolutely adore. But through the conversation and by getting to know my husband, they began to understand the, the change and the lifestyle and the culture. And now we integrate both cultures into um, when the girls were growing up. And now they're going to pass on their traditions plus add on traditions with their husbands or well, one's married, but the other, whenever they get married, they're going to pass on those traditions. So later on it becomes better absolutely so does anybody else have any last words they want to say i wanted to add something because i am a mindset coach and i coach people on changing i want to also i think what's happening too in kind of rated touched on it on the white savior complex or the like i just want to feel like i'm doing good to her point when you try to reach out to your friends it's not always going to be good. It's not going to be like, thank you for loving me. Like we have, we have this expectation of what we're going to receive in return for like trying to do the right thing. But like she said, people are people and they're just going to respond as they respond. It shouldn't be about the response that you get back or the gratitude or anything. It's about changing for your own internal sake. And what the, the video that got me was actually Armand. I didn't watch the cop video because I already had enough with the other one. Um, and I was moved to tears just thinking like that could happen to somebody when they're just running outside because I run. So I think finding what connects with you the most and putting yourself in that position of empathy of what if that was me or my family. And that's not something that we've ever had to do because that's not our reality. But when we start to do that, at least in my experience, that is how I've been able to go. This is for me and my humanity because we all have equal humanity and I'm committed to being uncomfortable no matter the outcome. Even if you feel a little bit like throwing up, um, that's going to that's going to be what's going to initiate the change in the world. It's not going to be comfortable and you will have some wins and you will have some good times, but also expect that you will have some struggles from challenges and rejection. And I think sometimes we want to just be accepted and that's why we don't reach out to people of color or people that look different is because we don't want to be rejected. Um, but in the same way, they don't want to be rejected either. So somebody has to go first and say, do you want to be my friend? Like on the playground when we were little kids, you know, little kids don't care about that stuff. So let's go back and just say, do you want to be my friend and play in the sandbox with me and, and take it from there? Yep, that is so true. Ladies, I can't thank you enough for all you guys from being on tonight. I know each and every one of your hearts and you guys have a heart of gold. And I know this is a tough topic that we talked about, but it's a necessary and necessary topic. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because I really thank you for having us. And it was a pleasure to talk to all of you guys. 
I'm about to send you a friend request, Cami. <laughs> Hopefully yes, you won't I'm gonna follow. Me. I'm gonna follow all you guys. Like, like, like. Linda, nobody will reject you, Linda. Anybody <laughs> will not reject you, Linda. Okay. <laughs> but I'm um, going back real quick before we get off. Is I want to tell you guys we were talking about the one that was um, the Ahmad that was running. There was an incident yesterday. I actually had Essence on this morning on my Facebook live, the regular live, where she was talking about her nephew who was in his neighborhood in Raleigh. And a white man went after him and his um, friend because they were four-wheeling. And so the white man's been charged. But still, if you can't even be safe in your own home, when the guy did not even belong in, in the neighborhood at all. They don't know where he came from. But if you can't be safe in your home, own home, how can you feel safe out in the world? So I just want to leave that there for everybody. But guys, thank you so much. And guys, have the great rest of your night. And bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Hey guys, thank you for listening to Chats from the Blog Cabin. Honestly, that was probably one of the most hardest and scariest chats that I've had ever since I've started the Chats from the Blog Cabin. But it was a necessary chat. We have to be uncomfortable. We have to get comfortable from in being uncomfortable. We have to talk about the hard things during the hard times. And right now our country is facing a really hard time. So I hope you listen. I hope you enjoyed listening in and learning and gleaning some information from these women because I was actually shocked to hear that Rada did not experience overt racism until she was 16 years old, but yet her dad experienced it when she he, when she was six and they were in an elevator and she didn't understand why the lady wanted to get off the elevator because her dad because she was on the elevator with a black man. That is just beyond me. I was, and I also, if you listened, you would see that I also talked about how I rephrase some of the things I say, because I used to say, my girls don't see color, but I changed that. Yes, they may see color, but they don't let the color of your skin define how they treat you. So I hope you really enjoyed this chat, that you learned a lot from it. There will be a male, a men's chat coming up soon. And honestly, with I pray for this country. I pray for everyone involved in both sides that eyes be open to see and that wounds would be healed. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I really want you to think about some of the things that you can do to help. Be blessed and remember, keep chatting.